podcast listener. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, you're in luck because this podcast is the most known nonsense podcast about marketing in the multiverse. This is the Incrementals podcast, Podrick the podcast where I, Maor Sadra, interview whoever I want to talk with about whatever I want to talk with. In today's episode, I was grateful to have Doug, who is an associate director of marketing science at Tinuity. Doug brings a unique perspective about marketing measurement and has been the first person who was able to clearly articulate the difference between incrementality and media mix modeling. I had a blast talking with Doug as always and hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. And we're going to kick it off in a... Hey Doug! Hi Mayor! How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. So you literally just finished breakfast from what I saw. I did. Yes. Uh, there's something to be said about the same breakfast every day, which is uh, egg oatmeal. So what, read into that what you will. What is your breakfast? Two whole eggs and oatmeal every day. Very healthy. Are you, are you like practicing for something? No, it's just I'm a, I'm a routine kind of a person. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. Cool. So, uh, Doug, welcome to the podcast. Uh, do you want to give a lengthy introduction about yourself? Sure. So, hey, everyone. I'm Doug McDonald. Uh, currently, I'm the Associate Director for Marketing Science at a performance marketing agency called Tenuity. How did I get here? Um, I started off studying experimental psychology and really fell in love with research and data science. That went into marketing at another agency world. I did that for a while and started a decision science department within that agency. I then went back to school and started to do applied data science in higher education, which was a lot of fun. Um, I did that for several years and I still try to remain active in the higher education space. It's something I'm really passionate about. Um, we do things like proving out the value of programs. So we can think about the value of campaigns. There's background noise. I'm sorry, there are dogs. <laughs> we can think about proving out the value of campaigns or channels and the marketing world. The same can be said about proving out the value of school programs or programs to move students from high schools to colleges. Uh, so it's something that outside of my normal job, I'm also very passionate about and exploring. Um, so moving on from that, came back into the agency world, wanted to get back into that fast-paced fun that is agency life and marketing, um, and that's where I am today. Cool. And, you know, I did sneak peek in your, like, background, and I noticed one very surprising fact. Um, the, so, A, you have an education master in philosophy. Um, what mm. and how were you able to transfer that degree to what you do today? If you <laughs> sure. Um, so the first degree that I have is a master's in science and experimental psychology. I then went back to school, uh, to the university of Pennsylvania, and they basically chunk up their program into three different steps, uh, masters of science, which is a two to three year program. And then a master of philosophy, which is designed for people that already have a master's in a related field. Um, and that is a four plus year program. And then that steps into a PhD, which is a full-time commitment um, of, along with the dissertation and teaching work that goes along with it. So they try to step it up that way, but you are not the first person to say, 
master in philosophy, what, what, uh, but it is in quantitative methods. So it was in, uh, part, part of it is in psychometrics, which is the study of measurement. How do we know the things that we know, especially things that we can't directly observe, like intelligence or achievement tests. Um, and then the other half of it is in applied statistics, which is a little bit more of your uh, classic, you know, growth mixture modeling, forecasting, things like that. So you mentioned like earlier, I think you mentioned the word science six or seven times. So I'm going to jump to this like generic, generic question I asked in this series. Um, and again, it's like, I don't think it's really the answer that necessarily is that interesting. It's like, you know, there's three options there. It's how people defend their answer. Now, is marketing an art or a science? So from my job, marketing is an art, I would say. So, and I come from marketing science, which might be a weird way to answer that. But uh, personally, in terms of what I've seen in the broader kind of data science community, algorithms, models, they come and they go, things evolve. There's new trends in terms of what's possible. But one thing that will always stick around and kind of has always remained constant through all of it is your ability to define the problem and break it down into something that is meaningful. And that I think is the art in analysis and data science and what we do that really sets you up for success or failure right from the outset. Um, kind of you can't model your way out of bad data and you can't model your way out of a bad problem statement from the outset. So really keying in on what is it that I'm trying to look at? What do I have in hand in terms of evidence that I can back up these claims? To me, the art outweighs the science there. Okay, very interesting um, answer. Now, you, you, you did mention something about way data quality. And, you know, I had an interview a couple of days ago with someone different who said that it's like people actually tend to believe whatever report is showing them, but they often forget about the data quality. And the data quality sucks, then obviously, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Um, the world of marketing, um, data quality is often a little bit of an issue how do you how do you handle that essentially like you know when you when you you know start working on a certain customer it's like what's your goal to do you first try to understand the data quality try to fix it sometimes it's an unbearably difficult job to actually even do great question so i am definitely let me check my bias at the door i am the measurement curmudgeon uh in in the organization for sure uh so kind of having a background in psychometrics um, we kind of believe that there is error in everything that you measure. So whether you take out a ruler and try to measure the length of a string, if you really try to break that down and you try to measure that string eight times, you're going to get eight different answers. And the truth, and I'll air quotes uh, for those that are listening, the truth is out there. It's, it's an important journey that we go on, but we'll never really observe it. We try to estimate it. So even from just doing simple things, like counting or measuring the length of the string, there's error associated with that. So absolutely, when we step up in terms of the modeling space, there's going to be error associated with that as well. Uh, but to come back to your question of how do we walk that path with our clients, how do we go through with that? You just need sign-off. You just need to understand that yes, have those, if there are data quality issues or you understand that we might be measuring only 80 percent of what's going on versus 100 percent check those assumptions there is really it comes down to again 
marketing science, data science being an art, um, the precision in the language that you're using. If you have data quality issues and you can only measure 80%, or there is a bias in terms of how you're measuring the data, it's inflated by some amount. Reflect that when you're talking about your results, when you're drawing your conclusions, reflect that in your language. Um, as long as you're doing that, I'm good with it. As long as your end user understands where you're coming from, I'm good with it. Nothing is perfect. You know, I'm, I'm working with this um, very, very large gaming company and they, they're fairly large. Again, we're talking about 10 million a month in north of ad spend. And there's, there's one person in the marketing uh, team who's Unofficial title is Director of Skepticism. Um, anything they see basically on whatever report, the role is to challenge it. And I've actually found that like, a, it kind of like, in a, again, it's an unofficial title, but it's like, I actually found it as a very, very good and legitimate role to have in a marketing organization, like someone whose role is to literally say, you know what, I don't believe it. I love that. Um, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite podcasts, besides this one, of course, Mayor, is uh, a Data Skeptic with Kyle Polich. Um, so definitely aligned and agree with that. I think not only is that title fantastic for a large company, but it also reflects the culture of that company that they are okay challenging kind of the status quo, the data that we're seeing. Any team that I have been a part of that has been really successful. That is the culture. We understand that it's kind of an academic environment where the cutting room floor is us first. We kind of beat up each other's analyses, try to poke holes in it, all in the attempt of to get to better results, to get to better conclusions. So the fact that they have, um, it sounds like an executive level level of you know chief data skeptic. That is that's awesome. That would be a dream job of mine. Cool. Now, actually, let's go back to kind of like again. So you you came from years in academia and uh, and again in, in academia actually sometimes i think the perception is that data is clean high quality high quality of data and so on now what drew you and what keeps you in our beloved industry great question uh so i did start off in marketing for a handful of years uh before i transitioned to higher education and academia um academia absolutely has data problems and data challenges. Um, so I used to work with universities and institutions and figuring things out, like how many students do you have enrolled today is a really hard problem for institutions and universities. Uh, but again, you know, data quality aside, you have to make assumptions. So you have to make some opinionated statements about, okay, if I'm going to capture this data about how many students are enrolled, here's how I'm going to do it. And there are going to be gaps, and but we're going to move forward with these assumptions. Why did I come back to the marketing and agency world? There was the opportunity to iterate on these problems just a bit faster. That really drew me back to this world. I think I really missed the opportunity to work on many different problems with many different clients. I mean, you don't really have the same problem each day or each week. Um, and I was really drawn to that. And I wanted the opportunity to really iterate on these problems, to find ways to really tackle them in a successful way. Um, and yeah, that's why I came back. It was for the pace of it. I know sometimes it can be too much, but I, I do still love it. Now you are you know, like, you know, I've been like in this industry for like 20 plus years. You, you actually joined the industry not that long ago. Now, 
I'm assuming again you've heard the tales of like the olden days where essentially this was not this was not an industry of data scientists. This was basically an industry like a completely different industry and in a way like people used to believe whatever types and I don't want to give away too much because I don't want to bias an answer but like when you hear of kind of like how this industry used to operate from a tracking measurement reporting standpoint and so on what surprised you the most if you asked me this question eight years ago I would be surprised at kind of how much how many just how how strong of a decision can be made off of not that much data or off of things that we know are kind of biased and flawed. And so my naive answer, if you had asked me eight years ago, was, hey, you know, you're measuring this this way. You really don't have the full picture. How are we going to this kind of conclusion? Aren't there other things that we should explore? Um, what I have seen that has been surprising is the level of subject matter expertise that really comes into play. Um, we've worked with clients that didn't have the most sophisticated measurement platform, and they were kind of rolling with their gut about what they believe worked and didn't work. And when you come back, when you look at these things through different lenses, whether that's a media mix model, incrementality, multi-touch attribution, we want to look at these things through a lot of different lenses. They were doing a pretty good job in terms of what they believed was working. <clears throat> Not every client is like that. I have been surprised in terms of the number of organizations that have a good gut instinct about what works and what doesn't. I think that that is so important uh, when you work with clients as well, in terms of checking in with them and saying, what do you believe works? What has been your strategy? What do you feel like your business is thrives on? Because you got to bake that into your process in terms of what you're learning and what you're going through. Uh, the other piece is that it's not surprising that measurement is going to become more and more sophisticated over time. Um, we got into this golden age of tracking and data where we could just run algorithms against everything. It was the data floodgates. The biggest problem that we had to deal with was managing the volume of data that we could get. I remember back in the, the double click campaign manager days, we would get log files out of these platforms. And the biggest thing was we're not, we will figure out what we need to look at this later. We have to figure out how to manage and store this. That was really the big scale up. We figured that out. Now we, I mean, the industry can amass huge amounts of data in a relatively easy way. We figured out that problem. Now we're posed again with a problem that we've been before, which is a lot of that data is going away, but you can rely on a lot of those classical methods. Now, let, let me ask you maybe a, like, in a way, the same question, just differently. So there is this like 100 year old quote that many people know in the marketing space. It's this like um, dude called John Wanamaker that apparently was the one who coined this phrase. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. Now, that was said 100 years ago. Today, July 2022, how much do you think is wasted? How much of my money do I think is wasted on marketing? Oh, my answer would be none, but you don't know how to qualify that impact. Uh, because truly, you can't think that anything is wasted if you can track that it is being viewed. In terms of if there are eyeballs on it, 
there has to be some kind of negligible influence in terms of what is going on. Um, but that in terms of the efficiency of what we're doing, um, again, maybe that quote holds. I haven't seen any data that would say, here's how much of your marketing data is wasted. I think that's kind of a strong claim to say that money is wasted. In terms of where you can shift budgets from what I've seen, in terms of what can be more efficient, 50%. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> there are definitely ways that you can move around that budget uh, to make it more efficient based upon what we know about your audience. Yeah. By the way, about what you said earlier, so I actually like very much relate and resonate to this. You know, actually, we, we just onboarded recently a new customer and one of the training sessions i always look forward to show them how to find cannibalization okay how to measure cannibalization and honestly after like 50 measurements i was like you guys have no cannibalization you're doing a really really good job <laughs> which is kind of you know in a way it's uh, it's not the best for 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 our platform to show someone hey you're doing a fantastic job honestly it's like whatever you're doing just keep it up um yeah but anyway i thought it was um, like related now you mentioned something and actually would really, really be, um, be useful to hear your answer. So a lot of people right now are massively confused between incrementality and media mix modeling. Like because both essentially had like become more popular in the last year, um, people are interchanging the two terms. How do you differentiate incrementality measurement from media mix modeling? For sure. The way that I differentiate the two is really incrementality answers the question based upon what I've been doing, this thing that changed, this thing that I just changed, whether that is a new campaign launching, an increase in budget, a decrease in budget, how does that compare to what I have been doing? So it's really that change over business as usual. I've been spending $100 now for a while. I increase that up to $120 per day. What is that relative change, that relative impact? So, and that's really important because you can measure those influences many, many times. Media mix modeling, I feel, tries to get at the whole number, the absolute of what is my marketing driving in terms of total contribution for my overall revenue or conversions or whatever it is that you really want to model in that media mix model sense. So they really go hand in hand. Uh, media mix modeling, <clears throat> An important step to understand how much of your paid media efforts are going into driving your revenue. What is that absolute ROI for these channels, for these campaigns, for these tactics? An extension of that <clears throat> leveraging incrementality, a great way to test. So for your clients where hey, you're doing an amazing job, you've, you've been figuring this out without the feedback from a measurement platform with, from, without a incrementality platform, but wouldn't it be a nice way to have feedback from testing new ideas and to kind of identify, is this working? Is this not working? Uh, that is really that great extension to media mix modeling that I think incrementality plays. Cool. Now, I actually just recently published a new article about seasonality, and this was a relatively controversial article, I would say, because essentially what it said is Take, him, take most e-commerce customers who obviously spend a lot during November, December holiday period and so on because there's more sales. So why not advertise more? And companies sometimes will keep 40% of their budget for those few days of you know, a Thanksgiving period, Christmas period. Now, this article basically said ad spend during peak seasonality 
is not very incremental. You might as well not be spending it, or of course you might be spending it on lower, lower funnel, like CRM, like attracting your customers to spend more or that. Now, first of all, maybe would you agree? And second, do you think paid marketing has a chance against seasonality? Great question. I would ask, I would answer that question with another question is what are the things that you're looking at when you're saying that paid media does not have an effect in these highly seasonal periods? Um, in terms of what are your competitors spending? How is that market moving in that same seasonal period? Because again, $100 on Black Friday isn't the same as $100 in the middle of August. Um, so understanding how that market is responding and shifting. And if you, without really testing that, so that would be a great thing to test with something like incremental and an incrementality platform to really split it out and say, if you can on a DMA level or on a, any kind of geographic level, I'm not gonna splant, I'm not gonna spend in these areas to really test it out. Uh, Cause it's really hard. You kind of have the chicken or the egg problem. Is it not effective because all of my competitors are spending more, therefore it's not driving anything. If I pulled back, would I see the same results or am I just gonna fall even further because I need to spend this just to keep up with the market, just to keep up with what's going on. Um, I could see it both ways, but what a great thing to test and explore. By the way, the way I summarized that article was, so advertising, again, based on all the measurements I ran, advertising during peak season isn't very incremental. And essentially, again, the $100 you would be spending in December is not worth to the $100 you would be spending in August. On the other hand, and this is an unknown, not spending might be decremental, means you might be losing, and plus there is the unknown comp competition part. But, but I think that the like bottom line point there is, I don't think anyone would jeopardize their job by saying, you know, I read this article, I'm not gonna spend this extra million dollars, I think we're gonna be more profitable because even if they would be more profitable, their CFO, CEO, CEO would likely come and said, we could have grown more if you had spent that. Um, and I think that that really ties back to the culture of the company too. I mean, the most successful companies, they are willing to lose a little bit of that margin to really test and find out what works. Would I change my entire media strategy based upon that article? No. Would it maybe prompt me to do a test with a small portion of that budget in an area that I can isolate and measure and see what those effects are? Possibly. Um, and that's really, culture really drives that in terms of how fast can you measure, test, learn, and iterate on those problems. Yeah, I try to do the same, by the way, when I speak with customers, like even when we see something that's amazing, I was like, okay, guys, this looks good. Maybe you want to scale it up, but please don't scale it up from like 10K to 10 million. We're not going to tell you that that's a good decision. Yeah, and nothing can. I mean, I... I would challenge uh, the marketing scientist that says, hey, you know, you've spent $10,000 a month in the past. Our media mix model says you should spend 10 million. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't <laughs> because you can't draw those relationships on these unseen territories. It's just, you're making projections, you're making guesses. This is all just a game of estimates. And we try to rein in the confidence around those estimates as much as we can but not communicating that, not communicating that range of possible outcomes 
is not responsible in my opinion. So, you know, coming, like coming from 10 years of purely mobile app marketing, um, like that was my last 10 years, attribution was rude enough to actually call attribution as deterministic measurement. How do you feel about that? So a couple of different ways you can spin the word deterministic. I love language. So I love when we get into the kind of these conversations. Um, deterministic really to me says I have a rule-based methodology. Now those rules could be based upon very complex algorithms. They could be based upon subject matter expertise, but at its heart, deterministic processes aren't relying on some underlying theoretical distribution of how this data functions, how this data is happening. Um, so keeping that in mind, there are assumptions and bias with everything. Don't think that just because you have a deterministic attribution or a deterministic solution, the algorithms that are determining those rules, the way that you are defining how things get credit is still a source of error, is still a source of bias. So deterministic versus inferential, fine. There's error associated with both. Cool. Doug, I'm gonna jump directly into a lightning round. So I'm gonna throw a term at you. Okay, you're completely unprepared for this. Throw your thoughts, feelings, whatever. Last click attribution. Still valuable day to day, but in 2022, you've got to go beyond that to figure out where you're really headed. Okay, cool. User level fingerprinting. Hold on to it while you can, but it's going away. Um, ads on Netflix. I would be for it as a marketer. I don't think it would directly disrupt my experience as a user. Um, something that is really interesting that was on a previous episode of yours, Mayor, is um, audio advertising that doesn't disrupt what I'm doing, but is kind of up and with my experience. So, I mean, we all have podcasts on in the background. I think it would be very interesting to see that evolve over time. Cool. Um, the metaverse? <laughs> Unknown. I, I'm, a, I'm a metaverse skeptic right now. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I've been skeptical about other things in the past that have panned out to be wildly successful. Um, yeah, I, if you had to, if I were to make a decision today, it's going to be around for a while and it will go away. However, we'll, we'll have this conversation again in five years. Okay. And kind of like a last question is favorite Bond movie. My favorite Bond movie uh, would have to be Quantum of Solace. And, and again, you know why I'm asking this. Maybe you want to give some, maybe you want to give some background. Yeah. So, um, I have a very amateur website that I started um, that kind of dove into during COVID, during quarantine, um, a lot of movie marathons, a lot of that was happening. So Bond films, Game of Thrones, all of The Walking Dead, a lot of those great classics. Um, so part of those is an analysis of Bond films and kind of the budgets, who was in those films. Um, for listeners out there, it's a lot of fun to set up a website. It's also a great place to hold a lot of your, whether it's resources that you've come across, whether it's just fun stuff that you want to do. Uh, I really try to set aside some time to play. So that's, that's how I get, that's how I scratch that itch. <laughs>
Okay, cool. And uh, Doug, what's a random fact about you? Random fact about me. Um, I am a marathon runner. So I like to run marathons. I like to stay active as much as I can. Those are two big hobbies in my life. And I have had a lot of really great ideas in terms of solutions for problems while doing physical things. Um, so if you're stuck on something, get outside, go move, go do something else, and it'll come to you. Cool. And if people want to find you, follow you, reach out to you digitally, ideally, um, yeah. how can they do that? Yeah. So if you go to DougAndData.com, it's the website we were talking about. That's D-O-U-G-A-N-D-D-A-T-A.com. Uh, all my contact information is there. Uh, and if you like what you see, cool. Let me know how I can make it better. Cool. So, Doug, thank you so much. And thank you for um, also waking up relatively early-ish. But again, from what it sounds, this is, this is not even early for you. This is... Uh, yeah, people, people up again, people running marathons typically live a relatively healthy life and waking up early. <laughs> Good point. Cool. So thank you so much and have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, Mario. You too.